0: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Missio podcast. I am Jared King, pastor of Missio Church, and last week we took a little bit of a break from our podcast, and so I am excited to be back this week talking about a, a short little letter that Paul wrote to one of his ministry companions named Titus. And so I want to jump in because this short little letter, which is only three chapters long, is actually a really important letter and it's packed full of really great stuff. But before we get too far into this letter itself, I want to briefly talk about who Titus is and where he is when he receives the letter, because those are pretty important parts of this letter. And so first, and honestly, kind of briefly, Titus was one of the people that Paul converted early on in his ministry and who ended up traveling along with Paul on a number of his journeys and Titus was not a Jew he was a, he was a Gentile which is actually kind of important because Paul was seen as the apostle to the Gentiles and again Gentile just means any non-jew and so Paul's message that he kind of he would speak to so many people in so many cities was that all people, We're now being given access to God through Jesus. You know, so at first it was only the the Jews had a relationship with God, at least that's what it was thought. And so Paul is saying, no, 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 Jews and Gentiles now have a relationship with Jesus. And so this message would have been validated by the presence of Titus, who was a Gentile traveling along with him, especially as he was going to some of the predominantly Greek cities that he went to plant churches in. And so one of the trips that Paul and Titus take together is to this little Greek island of Crete. Now, you may not find this interesting, as interesting as I do anyways, but Crete is nearly the same size as the island of Hawaii. Now, if you have no idea the size of Hawaii, don't go look it up because it's not going to really help you understand how big Crete is. But uh, just realize Crete is not a very large island but it did have, even though it was small, it played a significant role in the history of Greece and the Greek empire. And so this next part that I want to say, I was talking with my wife, Laura, who is an ancient historian, and she was wondering if it was 100% true, but I think it was probably true based on how the Cretans or the people who lived on Crete saw it. But Crete was said to be the birthplace of the Greek gods. And again, Laura was reminding me that probably there were several and many different origin stories of the Greek gods, but this was at least to the Cretan people how they saw it. They saw that Zeus himself emerged or was born from the grounds of the island and was said to have died and was buried on the island as well. And so this means that the Cretans began to see themselves as overly important and somewhat above the laws of goodness and right living. In fact, all over the ancient world, the Cretans were known as morally decadent people. And so Cicero wrote that the rules of life are so contradictory that the Cretans regard robbery as honorable. Uh, Polybius, the ancient Greek historian said, now it would be impossible To find, except in some rare instances, personal conduct more treacherous or a public policy more unjust than in Crete. I mean, yikes, talk about some pretty harsh words for the people of Crete. Apparently, they did not have a great reputation around the empire. But it is this background that a lot of what Paul will tell Titus is referring back to and so Paul is writing this letter to Titus who is still on Crete and he Paul understands the cultural and the religious makeup of Crete and then the challenges that the church would have faced and so he writes this letter and and the things that he writes in the letter is specifically addressing some of this historical background that Paul would have known very very well and so this notion that the God of gods, that Zeus himself, came from the island, is perhaps why Paul downplays Jesus' humanity in this letter. And so you guys know that we believe that Jesus was both fully man and fully uh, God, divine and human. And throughout Paul's letters, he talks about both of those pieces of Jesus' identity as fully human and fully divine. And yet Paul minimizes or downplays Jesus' humanity in this letter. And I think Paul was trying to make more central the divine nature of Jesus as having come from above, not below, and then bestowing gifts of salvation and the life of virtue onto humanity. Because again, the Cretans believe that Zeus was born a man who became a god because of his generosity and his benefactions towards humanity. And so Paul is trying to highlight that Jesus, though, is different from Zeus. He is different from this cultural and religious assumption. And see, it's this high Christological theology that that brackets the main sections of the letter, showing that God and Christ are equally the bringers of and sharers of the title of Savior. And so you can look at chapter 1, verse 3 through 4, and chapter 3, verses 4 and 6, where Paul is describing this kind of co-savior position between God and Jesus because it was important to help establish the identity of Jesus as divine who came from above, not who was like Zeus who was born from the, the grounds and the sand and the dirt of Crete. And so it's between these brackets in chapter one and chapter three where Paul then talks about Jesus as God is equal that Paul lays out the life of a follower of Jesus saying that Christ is the source of present of the present Christian existence but he's also he's also the hope for its completion to be made new to be restored so obviously the cretan cultural and religious assumptions would have said that the gods and even emperor were Savior, they were the source of salvation and grace, and were the divine benefactors of humanity. And so Paul is trying to subvert this idea, pointing to Jesus as the source of these things. And so you have throughout the letter, Paul subtly, and then at times not so subtly, attempting to show how God and Jesus are completely different from the Cretan understanding of gods and religion. Which then, you know, God and Jesus will call his people who are Christians to a completely different way of living than the way that the Cretans were living. And so chapter 1, verse 2, Paul says that God does not lie. <laughs> and you and I would think, well, of course, why would he need to say this? But think about it, if, if he is trying to create this disconnect and difference between God and Zeus... You know, God was, or, or, or Zeus was known on numerous occasions to lie and act in unjust and even somewhat immoral ways. And so Paul's saying, this is not God. God doesn't lie. God never has, nor never will he lie, but rather he keeps his promises. And then again, I love how Paul even uses the Cretans' own prophets to show the corrupt nature of the culture. And so he says in chapter 1, verse 12, one of Crete's own prophets has said it. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. I mean, this is a pretty intense way of describing a people. <laughs> and so this is the island of Crete. Now, not, not only does Paul see it as a place that is filled with people that are honestly not living great lives, but apparently the rest of Greece and Rome also feel the same way. And yet Paul and Titus travel to Crete together to begin a movement of Jesus on the island, which starts small but actually picks up steam as the years go by. Paul then, somewhere along the storyline, leaves Crete and tells Titus to stay. And then so he writes this letter to Titus to remind Titus to continue the work that Paul started and then to have Titus remind the Christians in Crete to stand firm in their faith. And that the task of the church in this context, in Crete, was to embody the grace of God so fully that the entirety of their lives, from house to community and everywhere in between, would be so radically different from the values of the Cretan culture and the lies of Zeus. And so it isn't hard to get a feel for the way that the people lived in Crete from this letter. They were rebellious, gossips, liars, evil, lazy, corrupt, seeking, you know, dishonest ways to gain wealth. And there is this general theme that flows throughout the letter that the Cretans were not people who sought after goodness. Goodness. And so Paul wants to remind the, the Christians there that as Jesus people, they are to pursue goodness in all things. Do you guys remember that word tov that we've looked at over the last year or so? Tov is the Hebrew word that is most commonly used to describe God in scripture. And it implies things like God as just and righteous and loving, compassionate, gracious, merciful, forgiving. He's the bringer of salvation and so much more. And throughout the letter to Titus, it is evident that Paul is drawing attention to the very real difference between the goodness of God and the result of that goodness being lived out through his people, and then the opposite of God's goodness that is being lived out through the story of Zeus and the Cretan cultural values that were there. And you know, we've talked a lot about Tov at Missio. We've said that it it is defined as good, and it's how we have used it typically, which is mostly true. However, our English word good just simply doesn't do the word tov justice because it doesn't fully encapsulate the meaning. And yet good is often how people translate tov in our English Bibles. But I think it falls short. I think perhaps a better way of understanding this word "tove" or good is to define it as working, something working the way that it was created to, or something as fully formed. And so when people design something like a bike, let's say, if the bike is working the way that it's supposed to, if it is fully formed, then it would have been considered "tove" or good. Which means that if something isn't working the way it's supposed to, you say your car breaks down, it's no longer towed; it's broken. And I think this is where things get a little bit confusing, especially when we're content to just listen to scripture from our own perspectives or hear it from our own language and cultural lenses. Because so often English just simply falls short in drawing out the meaning of ancient Hebrew and Greek words and ideas. And so when we are content to read the, say, the Genesis creation account and how at the end of each day, God looks at his creation and calls it good, then sometimes what we assume he means good is whatever we define it as here in 2021 in Seattle, Washington, whatever that definition may be. But when you look at the Hebrew word tov and try to understand the depths and layers of meaning in that word, you begin to see that God is looking at his creation in Genesis and he is saying, it is working the way that it is supposed to. It is fully formed. It is filled with love. It's filled with intention and grace and forgiveness and compassion and so many more things. And see, when we look at it like that, then it makes the creation narrative so much more meaningful. Because God didn't just snap his fingers and then things were formed, then it was called good, as if someone is asking you if you like the chicken that they made for dinner, and you respond, yeah, uh uh-huh, it was good. God didn't look at his creation after he created in those seven days in Genesis and go, yeah, uh uh-huh, it looks good. Like he sort of likes it, but he would prefer not to have anything to do with it ever again, right? No, he sees his creation that he brought into existence with intentionality, with love and purpose. And he says, this right here, right now, it is fully formed. It is perfect. It It is working the way that it is supposed to be. Filled with my love, with my grace and joy and justice and righteousness and more. And see, I think this is what confuses us, because if we don't fully understand the nature and meaning of a word like tov, or this idea of goodness, of the way things are working the way that it was created to, then we certainly don't understand what the opposite of tov is. If you were to ask ten people what the opposite of good is, every one of them would answer evil. And they're not wrong, but they're also not fully right either. When we use a word like evil, we immediately have ideas of people or events that come to mind. And so we might think of murder and racism as evil, or we will think of Hitler or the Holocaust as evil, and we would be right to think that. But just like we miss the heart of a word like "tove" or good when it's left to our own understanding of English and all that kind of thing, we miss the heart of a word like evil. I think one of the inherent parts of the word Tove or good, this idea that the thing things are working the way that they're created to work, is the sense of peaceful calm that comes with the word Tove. Because think about it, when things are working the way they were created to, when things are tov, there will be a peaceful calm. You can look up Isaiah chapter 11. It's this really great passage, and it says, The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand Into the viper's nest. Now, none of us would think of any of those things as a sense of peaceful calm, right? Every single one of those things has an inherent danger attached to it. And that's exactly the point that the author of Isaiah is trying to make. He's trying to say that when Jesus comes and restores all things, then there is a peaceful calm that will come with this restoration of the tov or goodness of God. He he is describing these scenes, which we look at and we would think they're impossible. They come with all sorts of dangers, you don't lay an infant next to a cobra's den or allow a young child to put his hand into a viper's nest because you know that bad things will happen. But, but God's creation was not created to destroy or to kill, but to be at peace. See, when God's creation is fully formed, when God's creation is working the way it is supposed to work, then there is a sense of peaceful calm. And a young child can put its hand into the viper's nest and nothing will happen because it is the way that it is supposed to be. It's working the way that it was supposed to. It is it is fully immersed in the tove or goodness of God. So when we try to describe things that are the opposite of a peaceful calm or the actions of doing good, we will typically say that that opposite is it's evil. But I'm not sure that that is actually the best way to describe the opposite of Tove. I think that the opposite of Tove is better defined as broken. Again, think about the definition of Tove: something working the way that it is supposed to work. So when it no longer works the way that it was supposed to work, we don't call it evil, we call it broken. And yes, Brokenness does at times contain certain evils, but the Hebrew understanding of evil and brokenness would have had a much broader understanding from things like causing hurt or pain, affliction, breaking things, doing harm, dishonesty, to things like ethical, immoral, and idolatrous issues, and more. It's not as simple as just saying, well, when things are broken, then they are evil. They are no longer Tov, so they are evil. Because I think the opposite of Tov is actually brokenness. And certainly that can lead to evil things, but does it mean that we are all evil because things have been broken? Well, no, I don't think so. But also we definitely have parts of us. We all have parts of us that are not the Tov of God, right? Right? We all have things in our story that we would say are not good. We may struggle with lying or forgiveness, compassion, of being loving. We struggle with anger or talking bad about people, of manipulating, or whatever it is. If you remember from a couple of weeks back in our podcast, we were talking about the sinfulness and brokenness of humanity. And and certainly there is brokenness that we all have that is there because of the choices that we have made or the things that we have done. But brokenness also can exist because of the evils that surround us in the world. And so we talked about how racism affects everyone in some way. There is, this is why we talk a lot about systemic racism, that there are racist systems in our world that affect the people around us, that affect everyone. We talked about how abuse affects Countless people. And see, the important thing to know is that racism and abuse, lying, cheating, and so much more are a result of the Tove of God being broken. And out of that brokenness comes countless evils that we will see in the world and sometimes that are present within ourselves. And I think this is important. Because if you go back to, again, the the creation narrative in Genesis, we see that Adam and Eve, they eat the forbidden fruit, right? And almost no one would look at that and think, wow, how evil were they being in that moment? Now, they weren't killing anyone to eat the fruit. They weren't exhibiting racism in eating the fruit. They weren't, you know, whatever it is. But there was a brokenness that happened in that moment. They were disobedient to God. God said, don't eat the fruit. And they ate the fruit. There was a disobedience. And in that moment, then they realized that they were naked and they begin to clothe themselves, which again was not how God intended things. They they start hiding from God, which is not how God intended things. They start blaming one another, which is not how God intended things. And more and more begins to occur. And in that moment, God's creation was no longer tove in the same way because it wasn't working the way that it was created to. It was broken. And so God, he comes up with this perfect plan and solution to take that brokenness and to make it whole again, to make it fully formed, to bring it back into Tove. He sends Jesus to restore all things. And this is really important, and it's important within the context of, Of this letter that Paul is writing to Titus. I think a lot of people, especially in our world today, really struggle with the idea of evil. We love a good versus evil storyline, but we never picture ourselves in the role of evil. I think it's because we see it in those very stark terms of the Avengers versus Thanos. We think of Hitler versus the heroes of war. We think of murderers versus people saving lives like doctors. And we would, when we define it that way, we will always find ourselves on the side of good, not evil. And rightfully so, because those things that I mentioned that are evil are in fact very evil. But when we define it that way, I think we miss the point of God being good and Tove and restoring Tove Because I don't think it's necessarily all just about good versus evil, at least the way that we would traditionally define it. It's really about brokenness, about things not working the way that God created them to work. God created all things to work a certain way. It's supposed to work by living out the definition of tov which is goodness, love, joy, justice, righteousness, gracious, grace, mercy, forgiveness, compassion, peace. And ever since Adam and Eve broke that intended beauty of creation by disobeying God's request to just simply leave that one tree alone, to not eat that one fruit, the world fell into brokenness and no longer worked the way that it was created to. And all those things that we would identify as evil or wicked, wrong, begin to work its way through our human existence, bringing all sorts of other things that, that was also not intended by God to exist, like anger and jealousy, rage, slander, abuse, racism, sexism, misogyny, chauvinism, aggression, and so, so much more. These are all the result of things no longer working the way God intended the world and humanity to work. These are all a result of God's tove being broken. Which is why then Jesus' return to earth, or coming to earth, was so important. Because Jesus, it is Jesus who is the restorer of all things. His life and death, his resurrection are working to restore us and all creation back into the tove of God. And his eventual second coming will in fact restore all things to their original purpose and their intended beauty. So again, it's not as simple as just saying, well, either you're good or you're evil. Because the way that we define those terms limits the truth of what they actually mean. Instead, there are parts within all of us that are simply not what God created us to experience or live into. But through Jesus, those things are being transformed. Through Jesus, we are seen as tov by God. We are made tov. And see, all throughout Titus, Paul calls the Christians to live good lives to love, do, and teach what is good. And so chapter 1, verse 8 says, love what is good. Chapter 2, verse 3 says, teach what is good. Chapter 2, verse 7 says, in everything, set them an example by doing what is good. Chapter 2, verse 14 says, to be eager to do what is good. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, be ready to do whatever is good. Chapter 3, verse 8 says, devote yourselves to doing what is good. Chapter three, verse 14 says, our people must devote themselves to doing what is good. Paul is calling attention to the fact that because of Jesus, because of what Jesus does to restore the Tove or the goodness of God, we are all called to then do good, to participate in that, to live into and relentlessly pursue Tove as Jesus's people. And to do so in such a way That the reality of that Tov living, that goodness living, that living the way we were created to live will show the world around us the beauty of God. And the reason that Paul talks about relationships and authorities and various groups is to say that there is a way that your entire life can be a model of Tov to the world around you. Not that the things that Paul is talking about in this letter are the only ways to live in those various situations and contexts, but rather Paul was saying, look, for you Christians living on the island of Crete, here are some very tangible ways that you can live that will show the tove of God to the people around you who also live on Crete, who are not, by the way, living and working the way that they were created to. You know, I think somewhere along the way in churches and Christianity, we, we convinced ourselves that to avoid evil or wickedness, to avoid doing wrong things was the same thing as actually doing good. So we created lists of things not to do. And if we were able to avoid those things, then that was the same thing as doing good. And to that, I think Paul would say, really? The avoidance of evil does not equate to doing good. It's not enough to just try our best to simply not do bad things. That is not what we are called to do as Jesus' people. This is just simply not do bad things. You know, Paul says that Jesus calls us to love good. To do good. To teach what is good. Holiness is and goodness are not the avoidance of sin and bad things it is actually the pursuit of god's presence in your life paul wanted titus to remind the christians on crete that just not being a bad person was not the same thing as actually being a good person a person that it was actually in pursuit of tove. they were to love goodness to do good to all people, and to teach what was good. You know, this to me is so central to the story of God, to the story of Jesus. You know, the Bible is filled with stories and letters that are contextual, historical, and they speak to specific people in specific places. And part of our work is to try to understand why Paul wrote letters like Titus, and Paul didn't write the letter to Titus because he wanted there to, this to be a prescriptive way of living for modern Christians 2,000 years after this. He, if that were the case, we would all then have to move to Crete for a little while and then up moving to Nicopolis, because that's where Paul tells Titus to meet him. No, Paul wrote this to help Titus, and the Christians there understand how to live, how to pursue goodness. And it's, an, and it's included in Scripture to, to give us a set of principles, to show the way of living as followers of Jesus, that what, in whatever context we find ourselves, that we can live into the goodness, the tove of God, that we are to strive to live into the intention of our creation, which is to live in the peaceful calm of God's goodness. To show love and kindness to all people, to show compassion and, and pursue justice and righteousness, to forgive, to restore and seek healing, to love good, to do good, and to teach good. See, when you unpack it in that way, the goodness or tove of God is not really a thing you do, but rather it's a way you live. It's honestly living into our original purpose and our intended beauty. And that's what the story, that's what the letter of Titus is all about. It's about Paul seeing Titus, his ministry companion, thinking about the churches that were started on the island of Crete. And to remind them, look, guys, Live into the goodness of Jesus. Live into the goodness of God. And when you do that, you, you begin to restore pieces of the brokenness that is around us. You know, there's so much that we can take from this, as Missio Church in Seattle, Washington, in 2021. I think the thing that I'm pulling from this, from this. Letter is for us to be a people who are pursuing goodness. Who are loving goodness. That are doing goodness and teaching goodness. I think the more that we do that as a church, the more that we do that together, the more we will see things being restored back into the, to- the tove of God. Being restored back to, to work the way that it was created to work to have a a peaceful calm around us. Well, all right, everyone, that's Paul's letter to Titus. Uh, Thank you for listening. I hope to see you guys this Sunday in my backyard for our final backyard worship before our camping trip. So from 11 to 1 p.m. this Sunday at my house, bring a chair, bring a lunch. As always, I'm excited to be able to worship again with you guys. And I can't wait to see you all Sunday. Bye.